The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, good day and welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. We've got a new topic for the EDU show today. Uh, Today we're going to talk a bit about uh, things to consider when choosing a financial advisor or planner. And this uh, topic was kind of prompted by an interaction that Jim's had recently with someone, I think a random meeting. He can give us any any level of detail on that that he wants to. But um, we, uh, as most people know, are pretty booked up, aren't taking new retirement planning clients. Uh, We do some services uh, uh, of other types for people. but um, people need help, and and those of us who uh, aren't readily available, um, I think the best thing for us to do is to equip people uh, with uh, the knowledge to be able to find someone that can help them if if we're not able. So that's uh, where we decided to go today. So I'll bring Jim in here, and uh, he can maybe explain what prompted this this particular topic in his mind, and then we'll get to our list, we'll call it, of things to consider when choosing a financial advisor. Okay, very good intro, Chris. Hello, everybody. Hope everybody had a good turkey day. Did you have a good turkey day? Uh, it was pretty good. I um, I was a little disappointed in the turkey itself. My normal source for turkeys was uh, all sold out, so I had to go with another option, which was not as good. But people seem to, I I was apparently more critical of the turkey than my guests. They seem to enjoy it just fine, but it was not up to my normal standards. Uh, Are you sure it was wasn't good, the though. cook? Well, I mean, it's easy I've to kinda, blame the turkey. True, but, but I've, I've gotten it down to a science pretty much. So um, I think it was the product. Do but, you brine your turkey first? Oh, absolutely. Anybody who hasn't okay. discovered the beauty of brining is missing the boat because that takes that that uh actually makes it much easier to have a successful roasted turkey okay and you cook it in the oven bag no that's not roasting that's some kind of poached turkey 
It's not a poached turkey. I cook it, it in the oven bag. It locks those juices right in mm. with that turkey oven bag. Yeah. I brine and cook in the bag. So poached turkey at Jim's house. <laughs> it's not poached turkey. At least mine was good. Oh, it can be good, but let's not call it what it isn't. It's not roasted turkey then. It was put in a roasted pan and put in the mm-hmm. oven. I consider that a roasted okay. turkey. But, and how was um, yours today, this this but, year? Very good. I, I cooked way more than I needed. I had 15 people coming over. So I originally bought a 17-pound turkey, and I thought, oh, God, that's not going to be enough. So I bought a 10-pound turkey mm-hmm. along with it, and I cooked one in one oven and the other in the turkey roaster. Mm-hmm. And then I cooked uh, two batches of elk stew, and then, of course, everybody bought sides. Oh, yeah. And the next thing I realized was I got way more food <laughs> yeah, yeah. than I'm ever going to use. And uh, and it did. The ten pound turkey never even got cut. The fifteen, uh, seventeen pounder rather, uh, completely went. Mm-hmm. And one of the batches of elk stew went. So I gave uh, half the other batch away to people who liked the elk stew. And uh, I've been nibbling on elk stew and turkey ever since. Nice. So see how that goes. Made a turkey pot pie. Made a turkey noodle soup. And then, of course, the old standard, just leftover turkey and gravy and potatoes that gets reheated in the microwave. Mm-hmm. But that's what's wonderful about turkeys. They're, they're big, and I find them tasty when done right. Mm-hmm. And they just make a week's worth of leftovers. And you can make massive other meals with my yep. turkey noodle soup and turkey pot pies. Totally. Yeah, I'm a big fan of turkey. Yeah, I like it too. So I think I may go out and buy another 10-pounder and cook it later on in in the year. Yeah, I don't um, know why I don't cook turkey other times of the year. I never cook a whole turkey. I'll maybe do a turkey breast or something, but I never See, I like the dock meat better than the breast, so I don't buy just the turkey breast. I'll mm-hmm. buy the whole turkey. And the breast is good, don't get me wrong, but the thighs and the legs, those are phenomenal in the soups. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my turkey pot pies, and also when I make uh, turkey chamein. So uh, I love the, the dark meat for, for the leftovers. Yeah. Absolutely. So you, and buy the whole turkey. Don't buy just the breast. Get the whole turkey. Just seems like such a commitment when it's, <laughs> it's not, not that bad. When it's not Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, folks, I want to jump into this show. I promised some people in Ohio that I would dedicate a show uh, to their question. And I'll give a little background so people can understand why Chris and I are going to do this show, especially since we're not actively taking on uh, retirement planning clients right now. Um, we are investment management clients, but not retirement planning clients. And we'll explain to this person who asked the question what what the difference is. But why would I want to dedicate a whole show for something that Chris and I don't currently offer right now? Because we're trying to help people. And I was sitting at a table. I went to what is called a meetup event, M-E-E-T-U-P, meetup.com. And it's a nice little, probably the only social media I belong to. I'm not on Facebook or Instagram or any of those other things. I don't even know what the hell else is out there. I'm not on any social media. But I do belong to this group called meetup.com. And it allows you to find activities in your area and people who are offering them. And they generally will post uh, where they're going and what they're doing. And 
you join their group and you kind of just show up and, and meet people. And it's been a wonderful way for me to hike in many, many areas of Colorado and met some great people. But when I go to Ohio, because everybody knows I'm thinking of moving to northern Kentucky or southern Ohio, I joined Meetup out there. I, I created an alter ego gym, a, a whole new gym, and it's a Cincinnati gym. And he even lists Cincinnati is where he lives. But um, I've joined all these Cincinnati meetup, uh, Ohio and Kentucky area meetups. And I don't want them clouding up my Colorado meetup feed. So that's why I created two separate feeds or whatever you want to call it. Anyways, my point is I went to this event, folks. Uh, it was a nice event. I met the, the organizer of it. And, oh, God, I cannot remember her name. And she's probably listening to this podcast. I apologize. I am just terrible with names. But um, as Chris starts chiming in in a minute, I will look up the organizer's name. I can't remember it. I should have did that beforehand. <laughs> but anyway, she's a nice woman, and she is hosts a uh, happy hour events for people who live in the northern Cincinnati area. And that's kind of the area that I'm thinking of moving to. And I went to one of her events uh, at Liberty Township or Liberty Commons or something like that um, in the northern Cincinnati area. And they met at, I think it was like a pizza and type of restaurant. And I'm sitting there at the table and I was talking to a gentleman, but a woman next to me uh, asked the table, uh, does anybody know a financial advisor? And I didn't say anything, folks. Because first of all, I don't live in Ohio. And second of all, Chris and I are plenty busy. So I just kept talking to the gentleman. And nobody knew anyone. Nobody said anything. But people were offering her suggestions on how to find one. And I finally had to say something when a woman, I couldn't help but overhear it, said to her that she doesn't know a financial advisor, but she went out on a date with one in the past. And he wasn't a good date, but he might be a good financial advisor. And does she want his number? And I just thought to myself, Chris, I've got to chime in here. I've got to say something. You don't want to vet your financial advisor based on failed dates. So I just kind of spoke up and said, well, actually, I am a financial advisor. And I explained to her that uh, I'm not looking for clients. So I'm not chiming in trying to get her as a client. But I want to give her a little bit of advice. And I did. I tried to give her as much advice as you can do at a more social event where people don't really want to listen to this. But I did tell her, I says, look, what I'll do is I will dedicate an entire podcast on things that I think you should look for or do when trying to interview a financial advisor. And that's why I kind of want to do this show, Chris. So that's a lot of verbiage, but I needed people to get the background on why I wanted to do this. Um, do you have any thoughts or questions on that, Chris? No, I think this is a challenge for a lot of people, though. And I, I can appreciate when people struggle to find someone they can trust and that actually is going to help them in the way that's you know best for their situation. Uh, I wish it was easier to find uh, these people. There's a lot of financial advisors out there. So it's not that there's not enough of them. It's that uh, it's hard to identify and distinguish the, 
the good from the bad, the talented versus the less talented, the people who focus on something that may not be, you know, top of your priority list. Uh, and they all have, you know, generally have one thing in common is they they want you as a client because more clients means more money in their pocket. And, um, you know, it's, it's rough, <laughs> it's rough out there. So I just want to let people know that I empathize with their situation. Okay. So where do we begin? Well, the first thing that I want to do is I told the woman that I would give her, she wanted me to give her meetup group a shout out on the podcast and encourage <laughs> anybody in the Northern Ohio area to join her group. So her name is Christy. I had to look it up, but hi, Christy. I'm sure you're listening. And the name of her group, it's kind of a long name. Uh, is the Northern Cincinnati Social Club. Northern Cincinnati Social Club. Um, but anyways, that's on. Sure, this is a hiking group? Uh, no, she's a social club, not hiking group. If she was hiking group, oh. she might be the Northern Cincinnati Hiking Group. Oh. This is social club. So you weren't hiking she, with them. You were just at a social activity. Yes, I would, ah. pure social. I went after a hike, as a matter Got of it. fact. Okay. Uh, when I did this, I hiked first and then went there. Um, for instance, her next meetup I'm looking is uh, two days from now, Chris, Thursday, November 30th at Cottridge Brewing Company in Mainville, Ohio. And I went there, actually. I went to Cottridge Brewing when I was out there this past time. And it was at the Peterson Cottridge Company, which uh, if you're a hunter or a shooter, you know the Peterson brand. And uh, they used to be made right there in Ohio. And the factory is, is long closed down. And they're starting to turn the whole complex, Chris, into uh, condos and uh, businesses. And one of them is this uh, brewery, obviously called Cartridge Brewery, because they used to make ammunition there. And uh, it was actually pretty good. I enjoyed it. So I'm bumming that I'm not going to be able to go there. It was a, it was really neat how they renovated the the factory. So you had that factory feel and look, and uh, in a uh, brew pub type atmosphere. And uh, I had a pretty good uh, salad there too. So little shout out to Cottridge Brewery as well. Okay, so I wanted to to iron that all out. All right, so how do you begin finding a financial advisor? Well, I think before I just randomly send you to certain websites to be able to to search for an advisor, you got to understand a little bit about our industry. Chris, who can call themselves a financial planner? In all honesty, literally, who can call themselves a financial planner? Anyone who decides to hold themselves out as a financial planner. It's not a controlled title that some entity owns or some regulatory authority has decided they can deem who's worthy of using that label. So anybody who wants to can actually use that label. Exactly, folks. You don't even need a high school education. You don't. There's no requirement that you have a high school education to be a financial planner. Now, I'm not saying financial planners are uneducated. I'm just trying to tell you, in my opinion, it's not an organized profession. It's a cobbled together profession of a haphazard group of, of various professionals. 
some who truly do strive to do what's best for the client, others who are just in it for the money. And it's nearly impossible to tell them apart unless you've been in the industry for 24 years like I have been. And I know the questions to ask and where to look. And I'm not going to be able to, on one podcast, teach you what 24 years has taught me. But the first thing to understand, anyone can call themselves a financial planner. Then you have to get various degree, not not literal degrees, but various degrees of, of training done or pass certain industry exams in order to do certain things. So let's start to explain that. But it's crucial. You know, there's no, it's not like you have to go to school and you have to pass some financial planning program. Chris runs the financial planning program. He's the director of the financial planning program at Colorado State University, the, the university here in, in, in Fort Collins, Colorado. People don't, uh, kids need not do what his students are doing. You don't have to get a four year degree to do this. And when I was working for others in the industry, I worked for, and I'll, I'll name the firm, I never did until they got bought out. Waddell and Reed was where I first got hired. And uh, at Waddell and Reed, they'd hire anybody. And I remember once when we were being told by our manager of, of the office, he was all excited that a new advisor was going to be starting in the district. I don't think it was in our office. I think it was in the district. And the reason they were excited by him, he was the number one copier salesman for like 15 years in a row for some copy company. Some Remember back then? I mean, we're going back 24 years, folks. You actually had copy machines. Someone had to sell those damn things to businesses. He did. And he was the number one copy machine salesman. And I remember sitting there thinking, but what does he know about financial planning? Nothing. But he knew how to sell. And that's what they wanted. So you got to remember, folks, there are no specific requirements. You have any type of education. So it makes finding one or a good one even harder because the ones who have no experience, not to say no experience, but no background, no education, no training, no designations, they can hire marketing firms to make them look beautiful and wonderful. And they're going to look exactly like someone who did go to school and does have designations and and does go to continuing education. And it's nearly impossible to tell them apart. So you're going to have to ask questions. So the first thing you should do, the very first question you ask, and I can't remember the woman who um, wants the help. I'm going to look it up while you're chatting. I think Christy emailed me her name. The very first question you ask, you do this. You walk into your bathroom, you look into the mirror, and you say to yourself, what is it I need help with? That's the first question you should be asking, is to yourself. What is it you need help with? When someone says, does anybody know a good financial advisor? What is it you want help with? Gee, I need help filling in the college FASI form or whatever that initial is. Gee, I, I think I might need some life insurance. Goodness, I would love to know how to open a Roth IRA. Or maybe 
I want to know if I'm on track for retirement or I've got all this debt and I need someone to help me get out of it. What is it you need help with? And that should be the first question to yourself. Why do you think that's important, listener? Well, Chris will explain. I hope I'm not throwing you under the bus, Chris. But why would this be the first question? I think that's important now more than ever because of the way the industry and the I'd say the world in general is evolving. Back in the day, whenever that day might be, I'm not going to define uh, how long ago, um, but back in the day, you essentially were constrained uh, to finding help from a professional uh, from those who are in your geographic location. So, um, you know, the, that pool of candidates is much smaller than it, it is today. And the reason that's important is now because you can really seek out help from a professional, particularly a financial advisor that's not having to, you know, do plumbing in your house, doesn't have to be physically in your geographical area. You now don't have to just seek out general advice from a professional. You can seek out specific advice from someone who specializes in the areas that are of most importance to you. And that's where it's really an advantage for the consumer these days. You can seek out really great advice, technically find the expert you know, the the top or one of the top experts in the world in your particular area of need. And you're not bound by them, you know, hopefully being in your neighborhood or your town anymore. You can reach out to them and deal with them remotely. And more and more advisors are are, uh, offering services practically to anyone anywhere at almost any time. So it empowers you now to not be restricted to just your area where you might have to settle for a generalist or just a generic financial advisor, I might call them, but instead seek out specialists and hopefully get superior advice than you might get from a generalist. So that's why it's important is to identify what are the areas of most need that you're most curious about, and that's going to help you whittle down the, you know, huge population worldwide, because that's, you know, big pool, that's the one downside is now you're fishing in a much bigger pond. Um, But it's going to allow you to filter and look for people who are going to give you the best advice in your priority areas. Chris is 100% right on that. But I'm going to back it up even one level higher. Everything he said is true. But I think there should be one division above that. And this will all make sense in a second, folks. I want to give a shout out to the actual woman who's looking. I I looked up an email from Christy, who runs the meetup group. Her friend's name that I was trying to help is named Tracy. So hi, Tracy. How are we naming people now on the show? Well, these are real people. We don't have to call them George and Georgette. (laughs) Okay. So Tracy and well, Christy wanted me to give her a shout out and mention her group okay. um, and her friend who needs the help or at least member of her group uh, is named Tracy. So uh, Tracy and Christy, you have no idea what we're talking about because you don't listen to my podcast. We usually call everybody George and Georgette to protect the anonymity. You'll, you'll notice also Christy and Tracy, Chris mispronounces many, many, many words. So he has to slow them down. 
Might as well throw you under the bus, Chris, instead of me. It's all, it's all good. <laughs> like they won't notice that you pronounce everything right and I'm the one who's screwing up. Okay. Chris is right on that, Tracy, that you you can get really drilled down into areas of specialty. But before that, because it's so cloudy, when people say, how do I hire a financial advisor or how do I find one? Are you looking for help with your investments or are you looking for help with financial related questions? What's the difference? Mm -hmm. Financial related questions. Can I retire? Am I on track to retire? How do I fill in the college aid form? I've got this much in debt. How do I get out of it? These are typical financial planning questions. How much life insurance should I purchase? Or excuse me, do I need life insurance? Do I need any type of, I'm trying to think what younger people, because we only work with retirees. What would younger people be looking for, Chris? I don't know. Help with other things. Mm -hmm. Education, planning, you know, savings, not just the FAFSA, but, you know, 529s and saving for children, all different types of insurance that they might need. Um, you know, the, a lot of people when they first start out aren't even aware of things that need to be insured. Um, so risk management, we'll call it. So the broader world that could include life insurance, potentially. Um, budgeting. Just general budgeting is also an, an area that a lot of times people need help with. Just somehow they're running out of money every month and they can't figure out why. And, uh, you know, so there's lots of areas. Excellent. And, and, and Chris made a very good point. You might just need someone to give you a once-over. It's like going to the doctor and getting a physical. Hey, I, I, I don't know what I need, doc. I haven't been to a doctor. Can you just kind of look me over and run some tests maybe and tell me if I need anything? Well, you can kind of do the same with a quote-unquote financial advisor. And for that type of work, am I on track for retirement? How do I get out of debt? Can you give me a general review of my situation? Can we sit? Can we talk? Can I tell you about where I am and where I want to go, what I have and what I want? And can you tell me things that I don't even know I need? That's a financial planner. But there's also out there investment advisors. They get all the accolades. They get all the attention. And an investment advisor wants your money. They want you to give them access to your money. And for a fee, they are going to invest it. And their knowledge, their background, their, their forte, their whole business model, is about gathering assets, managing them for a fee, and trying to grow them for you. They might offer financial planning as an inducement to get you to hire them for investment management, but truly what they want to do is manage your money. And unfortunately, in our industry, it has become muddied that when you hear financial planner or financial advisor, everyone thinks investments 
But most of the time or a lot of the time, people don't need or want help with their investments. They just want answers to questions. So, Tracy, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, do you just have specific questions you want answered or do you have money that you want to pay someone to manage? That is going to be Mm -hmm. critical because as you begin to whittle down any referrals that are sent to you, any advisors that you meet with, you need to know. Are they a financial planner or an investment advisor? Financial planners will sometimes say, yes, I can do investment advisory. And investment advisors will often say, yes, I can do financial planning. So it muddies the water. So how do you find out if the person is a financial planner or an investment advisor? Well, how are they paid? So this is something else. You shouldn't lead with how are they paid, Tracy. But eventually, as you are asking questions, you'll be able to determine what this advisor truly is at the core. Because any investment advisor can say they do financial planning, and any financial planner can say they do investment advising. How the hell do you find out what they are? When you get to how you pay someone, If the person sitting across from you says, I have a $250,000, million minimum before I'll work with someone or a $100,000 minimum before I will work with someone, meaning you must give them access to those dollars. They, They can't get at it physically, so don't worry. You're going to give them a limited power of attorney through whatever brokerage they're working with. And they're going to actively manage those assets for you. Are they going to try to sell you an investment that generates them a commission? If they require a certain amount of money be transferred to them in order to work with them and get answers to not only investments, but general financial planning questions. Am I on track for retirement? Uh, Am I on track for my needs and goals? If I share with you what my needs and goals are, those types of questions. If they require you to give them access to your money for them to manage it, and that's how they're going to charge you, they're an investment advisor. They can call themselves a financial planner till the cows come home, but they are an investment advisor. A financial planner will most likely charge you by the hour or by the project or by the assets if they so choose. But they generally allow you to decide. Do you want to pay them an hourly fee? Do you want to pay them a project fee? Do you want to pay them an annual subscription fee? You don't have to give them access to your money. You don't even have to get investment advice from them if you don't need it. If you just have general questions, you don't have to talk to me about my investments. You don't have to analyze them. You don't have to look at them. You don't have to tell me anything about them. They will generally charge you more level and flat fees. Do you think I've explained that adequately, Chris? Did I miss anything? 
Yeah, I will point out that there's a lot of overlap in these areas. So just because someone's an investment advisor at heart or primarily doesn't mean that they couldn't provide adequate financial planning services, but they all have kind of a a core from which they operate. And I think you're you're accurate in describing if they're demanding that you bring over assets and that they charge you in some way on those assets to give you broader financial advice, they're leading with investment management and they are investment advisors at heart. And they happen to give maybe some ancillary uh, recommendations uh, as a benefit for doing that, but they're not a planner at heart. A planner at heart doesn't really care how you pay them. They're not going to work for free usually. So they'll have to be compensated in some way, but the form of compensation isn't isn't directly tied to investment advice if they are primarily a planner. There's always exceptions, so I'm, I'm sure somebody's thinking of an exception out there. But you know, when you're trying to separate the you know the wheat from the chaff, if you will, that is a good way to look. Is you know that that's a good indicator of where their focus lies is how they are compensated. Perfect. So hopefully that makes sense, listener and listeners in general, uh, the the difference. And it's hard to, to discern. You have to kind of just ask them and get an idea from them what they're going to lead with, what they're going to do. Okay. A couple of other things to keep in mind. There are two basic um, worlds, for lack of a better term that a financial advisor, investment advisor, financial planner, whatever you want to call them, are going to fall into. They are going to fall into the registered rep or broker world, or they're going to fall into the investment advisor representative or registered investment advisor, RIA world. In short, so I don't have to keep explaining that in lengthy terms, You could hire a broker or you could hire an advisor. And this is where it starts to get confusing. If it's not already confused, what do you mean? I'm looking for a financial planner, Jim. Oh, I'm looking for an investment advisor. What do you mean I have to find out if they're in the advisor world or the broker world? If I want an advisor, wouldn't they all be in the advisor world? No. And what I mean by the world, if you will, It's kind of the regulators that will be controlling them. And I'll add, before you get too far down this path, I would argue that there's a third world of the insurance folks. Oh, goodness. Yes. A lot of them spread their wings and provide what most people would consider to be financial planning just from the insurance world. Thank you for mentioning that. Chris is right. There's three worlds. The broker world, the advisor world, and the insurance world. Thank you. So as you start doing your research and trying to find out, first question you're asking yourself, do I want investment advice on my money? Do I want financial planning advice on my situation? Once you discerned that, then you're going to start interviewing advisors. And you're going to try to find out by asking them, Kind of what world are you operating in? So let's look at the broker world first. They get a lot of bad rap. I'm not a broker. 
So just so everybody knows, we are not on the broker world. I used to be, not anymore. But I don't despise them as much as others in our industry do. I have met some really good brokers in over my years, and I have met some horrendous, terrible brokers. The big difference in the broker world, uh, Tracy and Christy, are brokers are generally paid a commission. They are only going to earn money if you buy something from them. So they have an incentive in, in theory to put their interests ahead of yours. If they put you in this product, they make X amount of commission. But if they put you in that product, they make Y. And maybe Y is bigger than X. So they have an incentive in theory to try to put you in a certain product. The broker world has existed for a long, long time, over a hundred plus years, I would say, if not more. That's how stocks and bonds and investments were sold all through brokers in the past. And the broker world still exists today. And some brokers have great knowledge and they'll be upfront and honest with you and tell you that, yes, I can help answer your questions, but I have an incentive to sell you something. And that's how I'm going to get paid. If if me answering your questions leads to me thinking you could benefit from one of these investments or one of these products, my hope is that you'll buy it from me and that's how I'm going to get paid. Some will tell you that. Others won't. Others are just going to chat with you and tell you right off the bat, oh, yeah, I can help you and you got to buy this. So you have to kind of look at how the person is communicating with you or just ask them outright. Are you in, if you want to really surprise them, don't say are you a broker. Ask them, are you a registered rep? If they're in the industry, they'll know, oh, this this woman knows what she's talking about. Yes, I'm a registered rep. That's their way of saying, yes, I am a broker. And then you can ask them, will you be working with me in a brokerage capacity? So now you are asking them, are you only going to be charged a commission? Am I going to have to buy something from you in order for me to get advice from you? So you can ask them that outright. An advisor, on the other hand, does not earn a commission, theoretically. And what I mean by that is an advisor is not incentivized to put you in any particular product because they do not receive commissions. But they are incentivized if they are an investment advisor, if they lead with investing, if they're only going to charge you based on you moving assets to them to manage, they are, in my opinion, also got a conflict. And I'm an advisor, so I freely admit there's a conflict sometimes that you are going to try to sell your management services to them. So you might not be paying a commission, Tracy, but you're going to pay them a direct fee right out of your money, right out of your account. So there is an incentive there for them as well. But what they're selling rather than a product, 
They're selling themselves. And theory says they are going to put you in the best possible solution, whether that's a product or advice, they're going to put you in the best possible solution because they are not incentivized to earn any type of commission. They're going to charge you a fee. They're going to tell you what that fee is, and then they're going to use whatever product or service they feel fits your situation best. So they operate under a wrapper called a fiduciary standard meaning they have to, by law, put you in what's in not their best interest, but your best interest. And by not earning any commissions, it helps them do that better. A broker does not operate, Tracy, in a fiduciary environment. They have to do what is suitable to you at the time you purchased it. Now, they do have to operate under a new umbrella called best interest. And it looks very similar to the fiduciary standard, but it's not as potent. But they do as a broker nowadays, they do technically have to put you in a product that is in your best interest, not theirs. But from a fiduciary standard, They are still a fiduciary to the brokerage firm they represent, not to you. It's a subtle difference. Oh, sometimes people will say, that ain't subtle, Jim. You can fly a 747 through that difference. But the brokers are trying at least to do what's in your best interest. They're trying to to hold themselves to this best interest standard. Well, they're not trying to hold themselves. The the regulators, I agree. Yes, good point. Chris is right. The brokerage world didn't wake up one day and say, oh, we got to start doing what's in the best interest of our clients. The SEC said, you're going to start doing what's in the best interest of your clients, even though you do not have a fiduciary standard. And I know this is probably confusing you, so listen to it a few times. Now to cloud the water even more, you have hybrids. You have a lot of advisors. I think there's more hybrids than pure brokers and pure investment advisor representatives now. What's a hybrid? It's exactly what it sounds. They can be either a broker or a fiduciary. They are called a hybrid advisor. I used to be a hybrid advisor when I did this. Now I'm just an advisor, a fiduciary advisor. I don't do anything on the brokerage side, on investments anymore. But a hybrid advisor, Tracy, he or she will be able to either put you in a commission product or charge you a fee to manage your assets. So it does cloud the water because they can be either of those two. And it's hard to know when they're wearing their broker hat and when they're wearing their fiduciary advisor hat. It's really impossible to know because they can on one hand charge you a fiduciary fee But on the other hand, then tell you, well, you should buy this annuity 
And now they just put on their broker hat, but you don't know. And it becomes very difficult because you form a fiduciary relationship with them. But all of a sudden, you're now buying a commission product and you're supposed to somehow divine when they're wearing what hat. The industry uses the terminology and and the metaphor hat. And and I laugh at it because they literally are not putting a hat on. Oh, wait, wait, Tracy, I'm going to put my broker hat on now. So, you know, I'm talking to you as a broker. I kind of wish they'd make people do that. I wish they would. And then here's my uh, fiduciary hat. Let me put my fiduciary advisor hat on so you know that I'm doing what's in your best interest now. They they often use the term, you know, we'll put on the different hats, but you don't know when the hell the hat they're wearing. So anyways, Tracy, you need to kind of find out as you're doing your research. Are you a broker? Are you an advisor? Are you a hybrid? And then as Chris said, to throw that, other one in are they an insurance agent that's where it gets really muddy and don't get me going on that i love insurance agents and i hate them all at the same time just like i love brokers and hate them and i love advisors and hate them so insurance really muddies it because they are not regulated at all (coughs) by the uh, securities regulators by the securities exchange commission nothing they're regulated by their state insurance regulator. So every state, all 50 states regulate insurance. And if you're an insurance advisor, you're being regulated by your state's insurance agents, uh, insurance regulatory uh, party. And they're pretty much going to throw you into an annuity or to some type of insurance product. So you should ask your advisor, if you want insurance, that's who you're going to. So as you're asking yourself in the mirror, what do I need help with? I don't know anything about you. Let's just say you have children and and you're divorced. I'm just making this up. I have no idea. And you want to protect your children. And you're thinking, gosh, if I die, my children are going to need money. Well, maybe you do need to go to an insurance advisor because you need insurance. And that should be the question you ask. Are you an insurance advisor? I need insurance or I think I need insurance. I need someone to help me decide if I do and how much and what company and what type of policy and why. And I need to talk to someone who understands insurance. But oftentimes you find people going to an advisor who doesn't realize they're an insurance advisor. And you often see it, Tracy, on retirement. Chris and I run into this all the time. And People are, gee, I want to retire. I don't know what to do. And this person says, well, I know how to help you retire. And really what they're looking to do is throw the people in an annuity. And they can look, talk, and act like an advisor. They're not supposed to tell you what to do with your money. But so many of them do because the regulations on insurance insurance advisors are so weak. They're not being examined like we are as advisors being examined by states or by the SEC coming in and demanding copies of the retirement plans or investment suitability forms or portfolios or communications and emails that we do. We have to present all of that to our regulators. Insurance, no. And I'm telling you because I am, Tracy, also a licensed insurance producer. So I know what I'm talking about. 
The state of Colorado for 24 years on insurance has never waltzed into my office or sent me a regulatory inquiry letter asking me for anything. They don't. So you have insurance advisors who are not supposed to even tell you to move a 401k or to change investment allocations or to open a Roth IRA. They're not supposed to tell you anything, but they do. And they're often telling you, you should transfer your IRA into this annuity. Well, when you're transferring an IRA, you are selling investments. Usually, unless your IRA is all in cash. And they're not supposed to give you investment advice. But they do. It's the dirty little secret of the industry. The regulators know it too, the insurance regulators, but they don't seem to give a damn. Don't even get us going on insurance regulators. You know, Chris, the the idiot in Fort Collins for years. I was trying to get thrown out because he was barred, barred by the industry for selling investments, for ripping people off. But he was giving retirement advice as an insurance agent and never even had to mention he was barred from giving people investment advice because he ripped them off. That's how bad this industry is and how poor the communication between insurance regulators and investment regulators are. It's appalling. I hate my industry. For those who don't know, I say that all the time. My industry is vile and ugly at times, and that's one. But if you need pure insurance... Go to an insurance advisor and a true insurance agent, not one who's looking to chuck you into an annuity and generate massive commissions, but someone who actually understands insurance, truly takes it to heart, likes insurance. I have met some. There are some wonderful insurance advisors. I was just on the phone today. This is a Tuesday when we're recording this. To my go-to guy on insurance for life insurance. This guy is a walking, talking encyclopedia on life insurance. And he's taken his time out to help me on two life insurance policies that I'm helping my clients with. This guy knows insurance till the cows come home. And I trust what he says. There are some people like that if you're looking for pure insurance. But if you're looking for financial planning advice or investment management advice, I and, and please, if you're an insurance agent, don't throw me under the bus on this. But I would be wary of taking financial planning advice or retirement planning advice from someone who is solely a licensed insurance agent and nothing more. That's my personal belief. Chris, do you want to say anything before they just throw me under the bus? No, you can dive under the bus. Take the blunt on that one? Yeah. Okay. So, Tracy, now what do you do? you got all this stuff. Listen to this a few times, please. It'll start to sink in so you know the kind of questions to ask. But it really comes down to also you asking them. Probably as the one of the first questions, don't ask them, how am I going to pay you? Are you a broker? Are you an advisor? Are you an insurance person? When you go into their office, I kid you not, Tracy, I'm totally serious on this. You go into their office or you go on Zoom. As Chris said, you can work with people now. We work at our firm with people throughout the country. It's very rare. We actually get a person in Colorado coming into the office. 
One of the first questions, if you don't know anything about them, most people who hire us have been listening to our podcast for years and they know everything about us. But if someone didn't know me from a hole in the wall, or if I was in your shoes, Tracy, and I didn't know what I know about the industry, the very first question I would ask your advisor is simple. What qualifies you to give me advice on my financial questions? Because as Chris and I told you, you don't need a degree in this. And don't be afraid to ask them what their educational background is. Ask them for what is called the ADV Part 2B. Did I get that right, Chris? Isn't it ADV 2B? I think it is. Yes. That is going to have everything you want to know about that advisor. His, edu- his or her educational background, and many, many other things. ADV 2B. Now, an insurance agent, he ain't going to have that. A registered rep alone? I don't think. I could be wrong. I don't think so. I think it's just investment advisor that. reps that do ADV. Right. 2B. I think a duly registered person or an investment advisor they will have the ADV to B, an insurance only. And I, I think a broker only doesn't have it, but I could be wrong on the broker only. But the ADV to B is a wonderful document to have to learn about them. But I would first begin by asking them what qualifies you to be here. Ask them what is your educational background. Ask them if they have any type of designation. Be very careful with designations, though. There are a lot of what I call uh, rent-a-designation or buy-a-designation. They're meaningless, stupid designations in my industry that just give a couple of acronyms uh, after someone's name, a couple of initials after someone's name to make them look impressive, but they mean nothing. But there's some in my industry that are very, very prestigious. Uh, CFP, like Chris and I, CPA. CPA slash PFS, CFA, Mm -hmm. CIMA, CHFC. There's some good ones. I'm not going to get deep tracing into what they all are. You can Google them. But I believe also for tracing and for all listeners, FINRA, F-I-N-R-A, FINRA, the financial industry. uh, God, I don't even know what FINRA stands for anymore. I've been out of the brokerage world too long. Uh, used to be the old NASDAQ. Uh, look up what FINRA stands for, Chris. I can't believe yeah. I forgot what F- it even Financial stands Financial Regulatory Authority. So. Ah, thank you. FINRA regulates brokers. The SEC and the states regulate advisors. And insurance agents. And well, insurance well, agents. Well, states, not SEC, but states right. do both investment advisors, and insurance agents. But in defense of FINRA, I hated FINRA when I was a broker, but in defense of FINRA, they're tough. But they have a very good breakdown and warning on junk designations that financial advisors essentially buy just so they can have some initials after their name to sound impressive. I'm sure if you Google, and maybe, Chris, you could Google it as I'm talking, FINRA and maybe financial designations, 
I think they have an extensive printout where they will tell you all the designations by initials, what they mean, what type of requirements to get it, and things like that. Mm. So yeah. you can yeah. do your own research. Did you Google that? Did it pop I up? I did, and it, I did, it did pop up. Um, I haven't gone to this most recent <clears throat> tool, but it's uh, if you just Google FINRA designations and you go right to FINRA's website, it's called Professional Designations, and they're all in alphabetical order and clickable, and they are all on here, and there's a boatload of them. There's 138 just with the first letter C as in Charlie. <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of them, and you can click on them, and it will uh, give you details about them. So if you see somebody's uh, letters after their name and you're not sure what they mean, FINRA, I think, can be a lot of help here. Right. F-I-N-R-A is mm -hmm. FINRA. So FINRA designations, just Google it. Mm -hmm. This is if the advisor you are interviewing has designations after his or her name. So you can see if they are worth it or not. Some, again, the more industry standard ones, Tracy, CFP, CPA, slash PFS, you'll sometimes see. Uh, CFA for investments. CIMA, C-I-M-A for investments. You would look for CFP if you're looking for financial planning advice. CPA if you're looking for tax advice. Uh, EA for tax advice, enrolled agent. These are all well-regarded designations, but there's hundreds of meaningless designations. And that's why FINRA came out with this, because they realized this is nuts. People have all these designations after their name, and half of them are useless. So you can kind of research your advisor. But do not hesitate to ask tough questions on that first meeting. Don't go into that first meeting and let them do the talking. You go in and do the talking. What qualifies you? I'm interviewing advisors. I need help with these two things, these eight things. What qualifies you to give me advice on these things? And name the things you want help with. What qualifies you to give me advice on these? Don't pussyfoot around it. Ask them. Don't go in there uh, in awe of the office that they might have or feeling uh, inferior because, oh, my God, they're an advisor and I don't know anything. No. Go right in there and ask them. I did with my doctor when I was diagnosed with, with my AFib. I wanted to know to the, the cardiologist. Now, granted, cardiologist, that's what qualified them. But I asked him, how many operations, ablations, did you do? I wanted to know. Do I got some new guy who's working on his third one? Or have you done 400 of these? I asked the questions. So don't hesitate to tell them, I want help with these things. What qualifies you? Tell me about your education. Where did you go to school? And and people in Ohio listening to this, uh, Cincinnati area, Chris, are going to be laughing. You're not, but I'm sure Tracy and Christy are because in, in Cincinnati, for some bizarre reason, when they ask you what school did you go to, they meant high school. Most other people, where did you go to school? They think college. But if you're in the Cincinnati area, Tracy, and you ask someone, where did you go to school? Yeah, he can tell you where he went to high school, but where did you go to college? What did you major in? Just because they say, oh, I went to Ohio State, great. What would you major in? 
uh, international law, well, wow, what does that have to do with financial planning? Do your research. Find out. And if they have designations and you're not familiar with them, ask them. I see these four initials after your name. What do they mean? What did you have to do to get that designation? What do you have to do to maintain that designation? Now, if they tell you a lot of designations, gee, I went away for a weekend retreat. And at the end, I I took a test and passed and I got it. Now, they're not going to tell it to you that way. FINRA will. FINRA will tell you on their website what they had to do to get it. They'll try to make it sound impressive. But hear them out, listen to what they say, and make sure what they told you about the designation matches what FINRA has on their website. So you got to do some research because this is not easy. Finally, or close to finally, you're also going to want to research their background from a regulatory standpoint. Do not hesitate to ask an advisor, even an insurance advisor, to their face. Have you ever had any regulatory issues filed against you from clients or regulators? Just ask them. Or if you want to sound like you know in the industry, ask them. Have you ever had a disclosure event? That's what we call it in the industry a disclosure event. They'll know what you're talking about. Let them explain it. Now, there's many people out there, especially brokers, and I I feel sorry for brokers because a lot of brokers sell things that they thought were good but turned out not to be, and they erroneously get, in my opinion, a lot of complaints. Gee, this investment fell. My broker never told me it could fall. Yeah, okay. But whatever. So brokers, are they got a tough job there, Chris, in the sense they are often I have complaints filed against them. A lot of them are justified. Many of them aren't. But ask them, have you ever had a regulatory filing? Also ask them if their regulatory file was ever expunged. Expungement is a huge thorn in our side of our industry. It's one of the reasons I hate my industry. You can get people who had regulatory events filed against them. You can have people who were found at fault for the regulatory events. But for one reason or another, they can petition FINRA to expunge it from their record so they don't have to disclose it. Sometime, in my opinion, the expungement was warranted that it turned out to be frivolous, the the suit. But many times I cringed at stories I read of brokers who succeeded in getting expungements done on things that, in my opinion, should have been disclosed. FINRA took a lot of heat, folks, a lot of heat for this. And this year they started cracking down, finally. But for decades... They have been letting brokers escape through expungement. And now it's a lot hotter, but still not impossible. So don't only ask them, have you ever had a disclosure event? Because if it's been expunged, you never know. You would hope you kind of catch them by surprise by saying, have you ever had a disclosure event that was later expunged that I should know about? They could still lie to you because it would be hard for you to figure it out. 
But don't hesitate to Google their name. Because oftentimes, when advisors have their records expunged, that has made it on the internet on various sites. So Google their name as well. That should be another thing you do even before you meet with them. Google their name and the word expungement. Google their name and the word complaint. Things like that. See if it pops up that something has been uh, disclosed against them. You can also go to BrokerCheck. Uh, is that .org, Chris, or .com? Can you check real quickly? Um, BrokerCheck. And you can type in the name of the person you are researching. That one's run by FINRA. And yes. you, I think you have to put in their name, the city that they're in, uh, the firm, if you know it, that they're affiliated with. It's a pretty intuitive website. And if you at least have the name, you'll find them because FINRA will show you every broker with that name and then the state and city they live in. And it's kind of easier to track it down. But the point is FINRA's website will keep track of these people and let you know how long they've been in the industry, what training they have, and if they have any disclosure events. And then you can click on the disclosure events and see what happened, if it was something meaningful or, or not. Uh, is it .org or .com, Chris? Well, it's just, you can just search for BrokerCheck, <laughs> but it's technically BrokerCheck.FINRA.org. So it's part of the FINRA website. Okay. They don't have it standard, now, separate. Now, the one thing with BrokerCheck is it's not going to pick up people who are never brokers. You can broker check my name, James Saulnier. Go for it, J-A-M-E-S-S-A-U-L-N-I-E-R. Go to BrokerCheck, look me up. Um, there's nothing on my record, but you'll find me in there because I used to be a broker. If I was never a broker, Chris, were you ever a broker? I don't think you were ever a broker, right? No, so I don't think I'm on there. So I don't think you're on there either. Google your name. I mean, uh, Finner, check your name. I don't think you'll show up because you were never a broker. But the SEC does track advisors. These are the non-brokers. These are the, the fiduciary advisors. So you can research them in a similar fashion. I think FINRA's website is far more intuitive. Actually, IAR has come up on here. Oh, so you get it from the IAR. Okay. Yeah, so it does, it does leak over to BrokerCheck, even though it's not. Um, I think they did that because people go searching for folks. But when you click on it, it, it says, we're sending you over to the SEC. So, Perfect. so my name. I'm glad they integrated that. I yeah. don't think they did in the past, so it was hard. Okay, so when you click on your name, it uh -huh. kind of tells you you have to go to the. So SEC's my name website. shows up attached to Jim Solner and Associates, but if you click on more details, where you'd normally get a bunch more details, it uh, says you're going. You know, we're sending you over to the SEC site. Okay, so, so the SEC tracks Chris and me now as advisors. Yeah. FINRA broker check is, is the industry norm and is well known. So I'm glad they finally integrated that in and made it easy because now you can just go to brokercheck.finra.org. And why would you do this, listeners and, and, and Tracy and, and Christy? Research the person you're going to go talk to before you go talk to them. So you'll know a lot of these answers ahead of time and see if they're being honest with you ahead of time. 
get an idea of their background, how long they've been in the industry, where are the firms they used to be affiliated with. If you're working with someone and you notice, because Finner Broker Check will show you, if they've been affiliated with a dozen firms over the past 15 years, <clears throat> that might, I'm not saying it is, but it might be a red flag. My God, why did he go to 12 different firms in 15 years? What's going on here? Something you might want to ask them. Gee, I notice you've been with 12 different firms over the past 15 years. Uh, can, can you explain that? I mean, you can get a lot of information and don't feel hesitant to ask the tough questions. You're going to be hiring this person to give you financial advice. Because my industry isn't like the CPA industry or the law industry or the health industry, not anyone can be a doctor, not anyone can be an attorney, not anyone can be a CPA. You got to go to college and in the case of doctors, uh, grad school or, or PhD school, whatever the heck they call it, and then residencies and all of this, you have to prove throughout your career or early career, you know what the hell you're doing. I told you in my career, I hate my industry. You don't need any of that. So you have to go through all these hoops just trying to figure out if the person is even qualified to give you advice. And then finally, where do you start getting these leads? I had to giggle when you asked, Trace, does anybody know? And the other girl said no, but I dated one once. And he wasn't a good date, but you want to talk to him. I guess that's one way. Go to all your girlfriends and say, you ever gone out with a financial planner? But there's other ways. And there's other places you can go to. And I'll let Chris explain that. He's got like the FPA and the CFP mm -hmm. board. Tell her where she can kind of go to start getting names to, to whittle them down. Yeah, there's a few places, but the, I'd say the top three that come to mind would be going to the CFP board. They're, they have a consumer-facing site, uh, Let's Make a Plan. I think it's .com. Let me – I'll look it up real quick. Um, that's run by the CFP board. So they're going to let you, you know, help you find a CFP, you know, cause that's, it's, uh, just tell her real for, quickly for CFP so what it is. Certified CFP. financial planner is what that stands for. And, uh, that's, uh, for most people for, for focused financial planners considered to be one of the gold standard certifications or, or designations that you can get. And it's let's make a plan.org. The uh, National Association of Financial Planners, or no, National Association of Professional Financial Advisors, NAPFA, N-A-P-F-A, N-A-P-F-A, and that's NAPFA.org, so NAPFA.org, National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. And they, um, um, it's a group of only, of fee only planners. So those of you looking for someone who's got a compensation structure considered to be fee only, that's kind of their specialty. And then the uh, Financial Planning Association, FPA, which uh, I think it's going to be just FPA.org. But let me. No, that's the Foreign Policy Association. <laughs> so the uh, FPA is going to be, you can always look it up, Financial Planning Association. But it is, dun, 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 well, it's all longhand. It's not short. So financialplanningassociation.org, all one giant word um, will be on there. And you can uh, uh, research and find 
planners there uh, as well. They're, it's mostly populated by folks um, that are CFPs. certified financial planners. So there'll be a ton of overlap with the CFP board site itself. But their tool is different. They have some other resources on there. Those would be the three places I would go initially trying to find something. Um, and there's a, uh, let's see. I would also, search. as you're yeah, looking up planner one, search on there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to share with her, uh, and we've talked about this, this organization before, XYPN. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and I think it's XYPN.com. It stands for Generation X, Generation Y Planning Network. It's really a bunch of advisors. Uh, they're generally all advisors, not brokers. I don't think you can be a broker to be an XYPN, but I could be wrong. Um, they generally will charge fees, not commissions. And they are really working with young, I'd say younger, uh, but you know, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. That's who XYPN really specializes in, Generation X, Generation Y. But there's over a thousand of them now. There might even be more. The two founders, Alan Moore and Michael Kitsis, uh, well, well regarded in our industry. I cannot attest to anyone, any of these reference places Chris and I are sending you to, that's just to get leads. I cannot attest to anyone from these sources or anywhere of being competent, of being qualified to answer your questions. That's why you have to ask the hard questions. And again, before you get into how am I going to pay you? Are you a broker? Are you an advisor? Are you a fiduciary? To hell with all that. This is my questions. What qualifies you to answer them? I would lead with that one. And if they are flailing like a fish out of water and um and on and ooh and gee, I, I, I don't know. No one's ever asked me that before. And of course, I can answer your questions. I got 12 years experience. You want something deeper than that. So I would lead with that personally. And then you can get into more if you like them and you feel they have the qualifications in your opinion that, gee, wow, they went to college or they went to school or they have these designations and they, they go to these continuing educations every year. I'm impressed. And he or she uh, confidently stated they can address these three issues and they specialize in that. I feel comfortable. Then take it to the next level. Are you a broker or registered rep? Are you an advisor or uh, investment advisor representative is what the industry calls them? Are you going to be a fiduciary? Are you duly registered if you're a broker? And if they are, if they're a hybrid or duly registered, ask them, how am I going to know when you're being a broker and you're being an investment advisor acting as a fiduciary or a broker selling me a suitable commission product? How am I going to know the difference? Ask them that point blank. Ask them if they will identify to you before if they are acting as a broker or a fiduciary. Don't hesitate to ask these types of questions. And then finally, how do I pay you? And what am I going to pay you? And if they start, this is what gets me going. If they start with, oh, I'm I'm only going to charge you seven-tenths of 
your 1% of your portfolio. I'm going to charge you eight tenths of a percent. I'm going to charge you 1% or 1.3. Tell them to take that percentage point and shove it where the sun don't shine. Tell them in dollars, what am I going to pay? I want to know in dollars. Don't give me a percentage. Don't make me go home. Try to figure this out. In dollars, what am I going to pay for you? If I'm, this is if you need investment advice and you have to give them your money. What am I going to pay you in dollars? That you should understand. It's so easy to say, oh, I'm going to charge 1% of your assets. Don't worry about it. Well, what if you're transferring over to them $500,000? You're paying them five grand for what? They spent two hours with you answering a couple of questions. You're going to give them $5,000 a year forever? Hmm, I don't know on that. So they're going to get into percentages if they are the fiduciary advisor they're most likely going to charge you as a percentage of assets. Tell them, yeah, percentages are fine. Tell me in dollars. What am I paying you in dollars? But also ask them. Don't hesitate. Can I just pay you for your advice? I've done this research on you. I like you. I know you want my money and I know you want to manage it. But can't I just get advice from you? I don't need my money managed. How much for an hour or two of your time? Or, hey, these are the things I want an answer to. I, I'd like to know if I'm on track for retirement and helping my kids fund their college and knowing that they're protected if I die be uh, early now that I'm divorced. Again, I'm making that up, Tracy. I have no idea if you're divorced or not. That's the project I want. What will you charge me for that advice? Don't hesitate to drill them down to a flat fee. And to hell with this AUM stuff. Just charge me a flat fee. That's it. I just want this advice. But that should be the last thing, not the first thing you lead with. Anything you want to summarize before we wrap this bad boy up? Um, just uh, the XY Planning Network is xyplanningnetwork.com, not xypn. That's kind of our shorthand forum, but xyplanningnetwork.com. Dot com is the website for that last one that you mentioned. XYPN would be so easy. Yeah, maybe it was taken. I don't know. Okay. So, yeah, I think hopefully this was helpful to those, uh, the, the, the folks you talked to, and then also more broadly to, to people. Um, I know, as I mentioned at the top, it's a challenge. So I wish everyone good luck, and hopefully this will, uh, this, you know, guidance that we've given you, at least gives you a general starting point for how to dig into this search that can be maddening for a quality financial advisor or planner. It shouldn't um, be this hard, but it be. is. And, yeah, but and honestly, it's the same thing. Trying to find a, a good doctor when I needed that cardiologist. I, true. It's hard. It's hard finding them. And you ask around for referrals and I asked my primary for a referral. And then I try to research him and, it's it's not easy for many professions, and and I wish it was. Yeah. But our profession, because it's in my opinion not a professional career, it's more of a I don't know what it is. But because anyone can do it, and you need no specialized training or education, I think trying to find a good one is even harder. Doctors, attorneys, CPAs. Uh, engineers even they they got to go through a lot of freaking training to get even through the program for me 
you can just be the top copier salesman in your district for the past 15 years and you're going to get a best job offer and all of a sudden on day one, you're wearing a hat calling yourself a financial planner. And all that you did was sell copy machines for 15 years. That makes it even hotter. So I know this podcast rambled on and on. And I know Tracy and Christy, you're new. Chris usually does this. He goes on and on forever. You probably noticed I barely got a word in edgewise on this podcast. But hopefully you will uh, benefit from it. And uh, Chris's uh, incessant talking proved to be valuable. Nice. you want to wrap it up, Chris? Yep. We want to thank everybody for listening once again. If you've got an idea for a future EDU show, shoot it our way. Uh, we'll be back in a couple days with a Q&A show. So, uh, you know, moving right along with the Retirement and IRA show regular schedule here. So we appreciate everybody, and we'll be back next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 